Good morning. I'm excited to open the Bible with you all this morning. You know, I just want to maybe reiterate something Erica was sharing just uh, earlier as we started our service today. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to be a church family, and I know that a lot of us are still getting to know each other. Uh, many of us know each other quite well. But one thing that's really cool is to see the way that God has used us throughout the past five and a half years in the Montclair neighborhood. Um, Erica was talking about earlier how Bell Park was very, uh, very empty uh, this past weekend. Now that baseball season's over, there's no longer 80 kids and families and, and whatnot there at the park. And so it's just, it was a reminder that we really do have a great influence in our neighborhood having started the league and, and being the impetus for it running. Um, but it was crazy because about, uh, about five weeks ago, we had a, a picture day for the league, and we did a big picnic out there just trying to connect with people, get to know them. And I spoke with a guy who, um, who's not a part of this church. He's not really interested in the church at all, honestly. Um, been getting to know him the past three years. And he told me something that I thought was really, really cool, and I just want to share this with you guys. He said, you know, before the brook got here, this park was dead, he told me. Uh, and the neighborhood felt dead. But since you guys got here, it's like it's come to life. And he says, I attribute that to the church. And basically, but later on he told someone, I was like, but I'll never go to church. And I'm like, all right, sounds good, man. But, but I was like, man, that's, that's pretty wild. Here's a guy who just for, you know, just catching a glimpse at distance says, that church is making a difference in the neighborhood. People are gathering when they're around. And to me, man, I went home. I was like, I laid my head down in my bed. I was like, God, amen and amen and amen. Um, that's what we want to see happen. That's not the end goal in and of itself. The goal is through relationships to help people see how there's a God who's a real God who, who sent his son Jesus to die for us and, and the good news of the gospel. But, but, man, it was just cool to see that this guy saw a tangible uh, result from the church being around. And I think to what others have been saying even this morning is that thread of we all long to belong, don't we? We want to connect. We, we don't want to live in isolation. And yet, oftentimes, we do find ourselves in this life feeling alone. You ever feel alone? You know, it's, it's a common experience for everyone to feel alone, to feel lonely. And, of course, in our day and age, when we have social media, you start looking around, you see all the fun everyone else is having, and you feel even more alone because everybody only posts their best pictures, right, their best experiences. You don't see people picture, uh, post a picture of, hey, real bad day, I'm super lonely. I mean, sometimes that happens. But for the most part, it's with everyone else around. They're smiling. They're great party. They're all dressed nice. Or there's some sort of experience that's put out there for all of us to say, hey, I want to be a part of that. I wish I was there. And so what happens is a lot of times we feel super isolated. We feel lonely. And, you know, as I was thinking about the passage we're going to look at today, um, the, the man who wrote this letter in the Bible that we're going to be looking at, Paul, he was lonely while he was in prison. And, and it struck me that loneliness is an experience that everyone will have no matter how faithful you are to Jesus. I, I want them to soak in for a moment. Loneliness is a common experience for even the most faithful of followers of Jesus. And the reason I want to emphasize that, sometimes we think that when we give our lives to Jesus, which God calls us to do entirely, that all of a sudden all our longings for everything else will go away because God is our everything. And yes, God is our everything, but loneliness is still real. And I hope that just gives somebody some freedom today to let you know, like, hey, your experience is not a foreign experience. In fact, if we're all honest, we are all oftentimes, at different times in our lives, lonely. But what I love is how Paul, in the midst of his loneliness, realizes he's not truly alone. 
And that's what I want us to understand today. Though we might feel lonely at different times, we're never truly alone because we are alone with God. And that is a liberating thing. That's a liberating reality. Although the journey gets difficult, you're never alone. I want us to understand that. But I also want us to see how do we then lean on other people in the midst of this life's journey? And how do we lean on God? That's what it comes down to. Um, ultimately, how do we lean on God, but how do we also lean on other people? And I love the way Paul does this in this letter. Could you meet me, please, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4? There is a Bible in a chair in front of you, a blue one there. Uh, we'd love for you, if you don't own a Bible, don't have one, to, to use that one today and to take it home with you and to keep it. And would you please stand to your feet as I read the Bible from 2 Timothy, chapter 4. If anyone has a pew Bible, can you tell me which, uh, what page we're on? 996, thank you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 9 to the end of the chapter. This book was written, it's actually a letter, it's only four chapters, only like three pages in the Bible. It's a personal letter written by Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, who's locked up in prison for his faith. He's written it to Timothy, the young man he had poured his life into. And Paul understands that his life's about to end, but he wants Timothy to get the right kind of instruction before he dies, before Paul dies. And this is what Paul says. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me, hear this family, bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory, can you say glory? Forever and ever, amen. Verse 19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is God's word. Father, we just come before you, Lord. And in this, uh, this passage that might seem so obscure to some of us, Lord, I know you've got a wonderful message for each one of us here. God, I know we've all come with different kind of baggage in our lives right now. I know I do. I've got burdens in my heart. And I know every man, woman, and youth in this room has burdens in their hearts. So, God, we don't want to pretend like all is okay when it's not. And above all, we don't want to pretend, God, that we got it all together when we don't. And, Lord, I know many of us today are lonely. We feel like what Paul describes here, God. Um, But, God, I just thank you that when we feel lonely, we're never really alone. And I pray that that message would come really clear to us. God, I pray that you would stir something sweet in each one of us. God, for that man or woman, that youth here, who right now is far from you, they don't know you personally, God. God, I pray they would come to understand that you're a God who has 
unconditional love for them, but that, God, you call them, you invite them to surrender their lives entirely to you. And until they do that, they're not part of your family. But when they do that, they become part of your family. And I pray everyone will understand that today. Lord, would you empower me by your spirit? And God, I pray you empower every preacher in this city right now. Every church, would you pour out your spirit over them? I pray that for City Lights Church in our neighborhood, for Bethany Baptist Church, God, we lift up Belmont Assembly of God, Cross Culture Church, Legacy Fellowship. God, we, we lift up the churches in our community, the ones I forget to mention, uh, Victory Worship Center. God, we, we just thank you that there are people, there are others like us who love you, and I pray that you cause their churches to flourish, and you do the same here at the book. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's be honest. As I'm reading this passage, you guys are like, why are you reading this, first of all? And thank you for not making me read this, because those names are hard to say. All right? Say Onesi Forest three times, right? Or Eubulus, right? Um, and, you know, as you read these parts of the Bible, sometimes you're like, okay, this is super obscure. I'm sure it had meaning once, but right now it's pretty much dead to me right now, if I'm honest with myself. And, you know, uh, a lot of times when I read these passages, I got to laugh, first of all, when you read them in public. Because people are like, you know what, how do you pronounce that? I'm like, I don't know. Just say it. Say it with confidence and move on. You know, because no one else knows how to say Trophimus, right? Uh, but, you know, as I read this, it's crazy. Paul mentions 18 different names in that passage I just, I just read. Isn't that crazy? And if you went to the book of Romans, he mentions 35 people's names in Romans 16. Three of them overlap with the names in this one. And you start thinking, okay, why, why all this for, you know? But what I love in this little passage is that we get an important reminder for us that Christianity is not just a world of ideas. It's intensely relational, all right? Paul's not writing this from an ivory tower. In fact, he's writing this from a prison cell. He's not writing this in, in relational isolation except for the struggle he's going through, but he has people in his life. They weren't there with him, but there's people he knows personally. And I just, I just want us to understand, Christianity is meant to be intensely relational. And I think in part, that's why we get these names. I mean, like if you look at Pudens, Linus, and Claudia in verse 21, that's the only time they're mentioned in the Bible, and we're told nothing about them other than they send you greetings, Timothy. That's all we know. But if you thought about this, if you wrote a letter to the brook, and maybe you had some friends with you, you want to send greetings. There might be specific people that come to your mind. And I just love how Paul's like, hey, I've got friends. I've got people I know. Tell them hi. Tell them what's going on. Let's, let's see what's up. You know, it's just, this is an important part of life. But with the relationships comes a lot of challenges, don't they? Like, you're like, you know, I, sometimes I wish it was just an ivory tower mind thing because then I don't have to deal with people. And, uh, and, and yet we deal with people. Uh, Erica and I get the opportunity to speak, as you guys know, we've shared this with you often, at different marriage conferences around the country, and it's something we love to do, um, and yet it's, it's sometimes stressful because we've got a lot of teaching to do, and people say, man, is it really stressful? Though? I'm like, it is on the one hand, on the other hand, it's a piece of cake, because we just drop into a city, teach a conference, people come up to us for advice, we give it, and they get, you know what we get to do? We get to leave them. There's no follow-up. We don't have to talk with them. We don't have to deal with any of the issues. We have one, one conversation, we're gone. I'm like, that is the easiest thing to do. Like, you know, when people are like, I-, I could do that for a living because I don't have to deal with relationship. But I know 
That relationship is where my personal growth happens. Sometimes I, I get challenged, I get rebuked, I get encouraged. And so I just want us to understand this. Relationship is central to the Christian faith. And I'm not trying to steal all the thunder. I know we're going to talk about this the next couple Sundays on, on the unity in this relationship. But what I think is remarkable here is how Paul is like, look, I know people, I know what's going on in their lives, and this is a good thing. But we see in verses 9 and following something really remarkable, and is that as many people as Paul mentions, he seems to feel intensely alone. In fact, verses 9 and 21 kind of work as bookends because he makes the same exact statement in both of these. He says, do your best to come to me, he tells Timothy. Do your best to come to me. Now let's set up the stage. Timothy is a pastor in a city called Ephesus in modern-day Greece, and Paul is in prison in Rome in Italy. And so he sends this letter with, with Tychicus, we find out, and he's like, basically, look, Timothy, at, as you get this letter, I need you to drop what you're doing and come visit me. Come, come to me. And you're like, man, well, what, what's the urgency? And Paul basically like, because no one else is here. He, he's struggling with some relational loneliness here. Luke is there with him, and we find out some others. But at the end of the day, he just felt like, man, I want Timothy here. I, I want my son in the faith with me. I want someone whom I love and I know and I can trust with me right now. And I just, I read that, and I'm like, man, Paul's, Paul's human. Because I know every one of us feel the same way at different times. Maybe you're married, and you feel like, man, my, my marriage is not, like, it's not satisfying every longing like I thought it was supposed to, because you know, we're, we're human. We have relational longings. Maybe you're single, and you're thinking, man, I want to get married to satisfy like, those longings. And like, no, that's, that's not the way it always works. Yes, there is relationship, but at the end of the day, we just need people in our lives, we need brothers, we need sisters in our lives, just like Paul needed this. And so he tells Timothy, come and come to me before winter. We'll find out in a moment why he says that. But then he mentions these 18 different names, and we're like, okay, so what's up with all these people? He mentioned a lot of people. Where are they at? And this is what we find out. He says in verse 10, Demas was in love with the present world. He deserted me. We'll talk more about Demas in a moment. And then he says this, uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Like, these guys... It's not like they deserted him, these other two guys, but they were just busy doing ministry. And sometimes that happens, right? You feel alone, like, man, I know I got friends, but they're just not around me. It's not because they hate me. It's just they're busy doing their own thing, and I'm not mad at them, but I I still feel alone. And that's how Paul's looking here. He's like, man, Titus is a good friend of mine. Crescent's good friends of mine. They ain't here. And he says here in verse 11, Luke alone is with me. And he says, Mark, Mark's not with me, so go get him and bring him with you. Talk more about Mark in a moment. Verse 12, Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. So he's like, man, Tychicus was with me, but I wrote this letter, and I gave it to Tychicus to send it to you, Timothy, so now I don't even have him either. So then he tells you, he's like, verse 13, when you come, bring these things, like, come, come to me, all right? He goes on to mention this guy named Carpus, but he's in Troas in verse 13. And then he mentions Alexander. Oh, Alexander's there. But what do you find about Alexander? Verse 14. Alexander Coppersmith did me great harm. Okay, like the people you don't want with you are there with you, right? You ever been there before? And so Paul is basically like, look, I've got great people in my life for the most part. They're just not here right now. No fault of many of their own. They're just not here. In verse 19, Prisca and Aquila, which, by the way, are a husband and wife duo. Priscilla, 
Her, her short name is Prisca. She was a mighty teacher who, who even taught this guy named Apollos in the book of Acts. Her and, Aqu- and her husband Aquila did great ministry with Paul, but they were not there. They're actually with Timothy, with Onesiphorus' family. So all this to say, Timothy's like, look, I know a lot of people, but only Luke is here right now. So Timothy, please come to me soon. And what I've just reminded here, man, loneliness is not a foreign experience, even the most faithful of Christian, okay? But what Paul's not doing here, hear me, fam, he's not purposefully isolating himself. He's not pushing people away. He hasn't burnt bridges, and he's not throwing a pity party. He's just saying, look, I long for friendship. They're not here for the different reasons, but I, I, need, I need friendship. And I just want us to know, family, you can't live this life on your own. Okay, you, you just can't do it. And in the church, uh, there is relationships. There are relationships. And they're beautiful relationships. They're not all easy relationships. But we need these people. We need one another in our lives. We talk about this often. A church is not a building. It is the people. You're not at church. You're with the church. You need each other. Okay? And that's called the family of God. We can clap to that. That's good. We do need each other. So let's see what's going on with some of the different friendships here. Um, we all need friends like Timothy, for, first of all. I just love that Paul's like, man, I know I can send my son this letter, and he's going to rush over to be with me. It's good to have a friend like that, who you know is going to drop everything for you. And he tells him, come to me soon in verse 9, and he tells him again in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. And you think, okay, why come before winter? Well, he says there again in verse 13, when you come, bring me the cloak. Let's put two and two together. Paul's a prisoner in prison, and they're not very concerned about his well-being. And he's like, winter's coming. It's going to get cold here. Timothy, can you go get my cloak? By the way, though, it's not in Ephesus. It's actually in Troas. So on your way here, can you visit that city? Because I gave my cloak to Carpus. We don't know why. Go pick it up from him. Bring it to me in Italy so I can be warm for wintertime. This is really practical stuff here, all right? It's like, go get me the groceries, all right? Paul needed help, and Timothy's there to bring it for him. But then he goes on to tell him in verse 13, also the books and above all the parchments. I just love this. Like Paul's like looking at his execution. He's going to die for his faith in a matter of weeks, months maybe. And he's like, can you bring me some books? Like dude's never done learning. And I think we got to learn from this. We can never be done learning. And many have speculated, what are these books or what's the parchments? Books were scrolls made of papyrus, less durable. Parchments were made of animal skin, more durable. The important books get into parchments. The ones that you're trying to write off, like, like letters, go in the papyrus. So many have thought the parchments were most likely the Old Testament scriptures, which is why Paul says, above all everything, please bring me the parchments. I need the word of God. I got arrested. I wasn't able to bring it with me. You ever watch some, the, the TV show Survivor? You get to bring like one item to the island. You ever thought about that? What would I bring to the island? Who would bring a toothbrush? Paul's like, the parchments. I need my parchments. I, I don't need anything else. I need, my, I need my Bible. Because as I'm staring down death, I need my soul to continue to be fed. Family, as we walk through this life and we feel alone, that's when you run to the Word, to the parchments. You get in the Word of God. Because there you're reminded that although you're lonely, you're not alone. God is with you. And I'm not trying to say that to minimize our struggles. We're talking about that in a moment. But, but I need us to understand, even in Paul's 
burdens here, he's like, bring me above all the parchments. We need friends like Timothy. But oftentimes we get foes like Alexander. Look what he says in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You're like, man, Paul, that sounds rough. It sounds a little vindictive. And it's not vindictive. What Paul's basically saying is God's a just God. This man has done evil. I know God will not let evil go unpunished. So he's like, this is what Alexander's done to me. But then verse 15, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Like, Timothy, on your way here to Italy, if you happen to see Alexander, that's not the guy to say what's up to. Because you know what? Most likely Paul was locked up because of Alexander. And Paul's concerned, not just for Timothy's well-being, but what Timothy represents. He's spreading the good news of Jesus, and he's Paul's companion in this time of great need. So it's like, Timothy, look out for him. And sometimes in our lives, when we're, even when we're struggling, man, like, why is it that I've got Alexanders all around me? People who oppose my faith, oppose what I'm standing for in God. I'm trying to stand strong, but all I feel is opposition and loneliness. We've all been there, and there's Paul. So he's got friends like Timothy, but sometimes we get foes like Alexander. But then there's two others here that he mentions that I really want to press in on. It's Demas in verse 10 and Mark in verse 11. When I read this, I remember as a, as, a, as a youth, this is crazy, sometimes the things you remember. My old church, when I grew up at, just down the street from here, a guy came in, a guest speaker who was a missionary in Columbia, came and preached the message from this very passage. And I remember there as a child thinking, man, if God calls me to be a preacher, I want to preach this one day. Because of what it meant. Because here we find a guy named Demas. Look what Paul says about him. Not very flattering in verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's not a good reputation right there. And so Paul's like, look, Demas was someone here, but he's deserted me because he fell in love with the world. Now, this is even more singing because we find Demas' name in two other parts of the Bible. Demas shows up in Colossians 4. Paul says this, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Wait, hold up. Demas sends greetings to people with Paul? See, what we find out also in Philemon verse 24, that he calls Demas his fellow worker. So what we find out about Demas is here's a man who was one day one of Paul's right-hand men, one of his closest friends, a fellow worker, a fellow missionary. They traveled the Roman Empire together. And now in Paul's greatest hour of need, Demas deserted me because he fell in love with the world. Family, it's not a matter of how you start this race, but it's about how you finish it. Demas did not finish it well, at least up to this point. We have no other knowledge of him except for the fact that he fell in love with the world. Family, the, the world is an enticing place, and there are many beautiful things in our world. Cultures and languages and ideas, and art. But there is a system of belief that underlies this world that belongs to the enemy of God who wants to cause us to live a life contrary to God and push God away. And that's where all the temptations, all the lust of our flesh, all the pride of life, all the pursuits that oppose God, they come from that. And that's what's so tempting for every single one of us. That's why John says in 1 John 2, do not love the world nor the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because those things will kill us. 
And here Demas is in love with the world and he has forsaken his friend. You talk about struggle and relationship. You talk about hurt. And a lot of us have felt that. Here Paul's like, man, not, it's not just somebody who just loved me. This was a friend of mine who's walked away from his faith. Who's walked away from his faith. Maybe you're here today and you are tinkering with that idea of leaving the faith and going after the world. It's so enticing. I know it is. We know it is. But I tell you, it will not deliver what it promises. Then on the flip side, we have this mention of Mark in verse 11. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. This is crazy to me. Because Mark was mentioned in the book of Acts. Mark also was one of Paul's traveling friends in the, as a missionary. But then we find in Acts verse, uh, chapter 13, um, actually not 13, yeah, 13 eh, I'm not sure. I forgot my notes there. Um, we find, uh, wrong verse I put in my notes. I'm like, that's not it. It says, Mark deserted me and went back to Jerusalem. You see, Mark was a missionary, and mid-missions trip, he leaves Paul and Barnabas to go out, to go back home. Maybe it was too hard. Maybe the, the cost was too high, and he struggled. But now at the end of the life, Paul's like, no, Mark, Mark is useful to me. So we don't know what happened there. We know that Barnabas was central in Mark's life and bringing him back to the faith. But here we see these two extremes. Demas, who started strong and fizzles out, and Mark, who started weak and ends strong. And look, man, this is what we are confronted with. And you just can't help but ask, who are you in this? Are you Demas or are you Mark? Have you started great in your faith and now you're fading out because things are too hard or the world is too enticing? Or maybe you started out and you had a lot of hiccups. You kept falling down, but God opened your eyes, strengthened your faith, and you're like, I've got one goal, and that's the glory of God now. Where are you at? Who are you? Demas or Mark? And here Paul, at the end of his life, says, Demas deserted me, and Mark, who once left me, now is useful to me. Family, the world is enticing. We've got to resist it. In fact, uh, in 1999, uh, I was a senior in high school, and a guy named William Branch, whose rap name is The Ambassador, came out with a song called Girl Named World. I love this song because what he does is he portrays his relationship with the world as a romantic relationship. And he talks about how this world is seductive, but listen to how he says this. He says, I used to date a girl named World. Sis was real glamorous, arrayed in diamonds and pearls. She was the baddest, the fattest. She was established. And with universal status, she kept me living lavish. She knew about my sinful habits. She used to feed them. She offered me the fruits of lust. I used to eat them. She took my freedom. Warnings came. I wouldn't heed them. And when I mentioned God, she said, chill, you don't need him. I second-guessed this, but then she pulled out those dresses, tight-fitting ones made by Mercedes and Lexus. Her neck just exploded with the fragrance of passion, the aroma of fame, fortune, and fashion snatching my heart. She romanced me, my plans be, love her for life, make her my wife. 
Here, here you hear the seduction of the world. And a lot of us, we feel that. But listen to what he says is, I used to date a girl named World. World. She was, sis was real glamorous, arrayed in diamonds and pearls. But now I got a new best friend because the world will leave you dry and watch you die in the end. That's powerful, ain't it? And see, Paul's here at the end of his life. He's lonely. He's struggling. But he's not living for the world, so he knows he's not truly alone. Because the world would leave him dry and watch him die. That's where Demas is going. Demas, if he doesn't change course, is going to one day lay in his deathbed and look around and find nothing because the world won't be there. But Paul's here staring down death, saying, yeah, I'm lonely, but I'm not alone because God is with me. So he said, bring me Mark, Timothy. Bring me my cloak. It's getting cold. Bring me my books. But above all, bring me the word of God. I love how Paul presses here. But then he goes on to talk in verse 16 of how hard this loneliness was. He says, in my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Paul was there in trial in Rome. And, you know, it's interesting because people often wonder, okay, really, what was the big beef the Roman Empire had with Christianity? Like, it it couldn't have been simply that they believed in Jesus. Like, what's going on here? And there are different charges they would give Christians. They would call Christians cannibals. You think, why in the world would they call us a cannibal? Well, because when the Christians would gather around a table and have the bread and have the cup, and they said, this is Jesus' body, let's eat it. This is his blood, let's drink it in remembrance of him. And they're like, these guys are cannibals. And so they would arrest them. They would arrest Christians on the charge of atheism. And we're like, okay, wait, what? We, we believe in God. It's like, but you don't believe the emperor is God. So arrest them. See, Christians were seen as troublemakers because they, they, they were against the culture. They usurped the, they believed that God had authority, and the Roman Empire saw that as usurping the emperor's authority. So they put Christians in prison. So there's Paul. He's like, man, when I was up in trial, nobody was here. Nobody was giving me advice. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have a brother. I didn't have a sister here at trial with me. But then he says, may it not be charged against them. He's like, man, at the same time, I know that's hard. I'm about to get locked up, locked up, and if you're at my defense, you might be next. But look what he says in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me. Isn't that good to hear? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Although I was lonely, I was really never alone. The Lord stood by my side. Family, this is so true for every one of us who are following Jesus. God is present with you. And I don't mean that to to say, so therefore, never be sad. Never be lonely. No, no, look, look. Like, loneliness is real. But just do know, deep within, you're never, ever alone. The Lord has stood by the sides of many people, faithful people, in their hours of loneliness. I think of Moses when he stood before Pharaoh speaking on behalf of a nation. He might have been singled out, but he was not alone. David, when Goliath was taunting the armies of God and nobody stood up but David, he might have felt isolated, but he was not alone. Elijah 
after his confrontation with the prophets of Baal, with 400 people who opposed him. No doubt he felt lonely, but he was not alone, family. Are you with me here? Daniel, when dropped into a den of lions and not a companion by his side, he might have been by himself, but what family? He was not alone. When our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, walked his disciples into the garden of Gethsemane, and he stepped away to pray. He told them to pray with him. He came back and found them sleeping. And then finally they wake up and, oh, Judas, my other friend, arrives. Good, Judas. Oh, oh you're here to betray me. Oh, Peter, you're going to speak up with your sword and start a fight? And before he knew it, all his disciples had fled him. Jesus might have been abandoned, but he was not alone. And on that cross, when he hung and heard people jeering at him, insulting him and mocking him, and he cried out in the heavens, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He might have felt forsaken. But even still, he was not alone, family. What has God told you in me? What did he tell Paul other than, I will stand by you? Jesus tells the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans when I go. He tells them, I will be with you always. He is the one who sticks closer than a brother family. You with me here? He is a refuge and strength and a very present help in times of trouble. He is a shelter that doesn't shake. He is a foundation that doesn't give. He doesn't retreat when times are tough. He doesn't leave or forsake you. He is, his steadfast love never ceases. So when you say, why are you downcast, oh my soul? You say what the psalmist says, hope in God. Because he will never forsake you. You may feel lonely today. But glory to God, you are not alone. And Paul says, I was not alone. The Lord stood with me so that this message would go forward. And he says in verse 17, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And we don't know who the lion is here. Maybe it's Emperor Nero. Maybe it's the judge in the courts. Maybe it's just a general idea of suffering. But all Paul knows was, I didn't get executed right away. So as long as I'm breathing, this message is going out. God has rescued me, and he will rescue me. But then he ups the ante. He ups the ante in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's a man who's struggling with loneliness. He's struggling alone. He's like, Timothy, come soon, please. But he's also saying, but I know no matter what happens, God is with me, and not only is he with me now, but he will deliver me into his heavenly kingdom. I just love the way Paul has this confidence no matter what he's going through. That's his certainty. That's his certainty as he writes this last letter. Verse 22 is most likely the final verse Paul ever wrote. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. It's the last one. The finish line is there. 
So this letter to Timothy is a letter of urgency. It's a letter telling us to keep in the fight, to fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the course, hold down what's been entrusted to you and me. We don't know when the day of our death will come. We know it will come, but we are called to finish strong, not fizzle out like Demas. And all this can be rooted in the fact that our sure confidence that God will keep us to the end, family. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That's good news for us. I don't think you heard me today. That's good news for us. Romans 8 says, what shall we say to these things then, family? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? This is the Paul who wrote this, and this is the confidence God wants us to have no matter how dark our days get and how difficult things become. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies us, Paul says. Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus died for us. So you can't condemn me. Jesus already was condemned. What shall separate us or who shall separate us from the love of God, Paul says. Then he asks, shall tribulation, what's the answer? Distress? Persecution? I want to hear you here. Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? This is what Paul writes. The answer is a resounding what? And we can add to that. Will job loss separate you? Will cancer separate you? Will fibromyalgia separate you? How about multiple sclerosis? Tragedy? Financial struggle? Come on. Past failures? Spiritual warfare? None of it will separate you. This race will get hard. Paul is telling us it will get hard. He's at the finish line by himself. It's hard. Opposition will mount. We'll all feel dejected at different times when our best friends have walked away from the faith. It's going to happen when our world is coming against us and we feel tempted to walk away from Jesus. But then Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he adds, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is his hope from the starting line to the finish line, and this is your and my hope. So family, I want to tell you what Paul told us. Fight good fight. Finish this race and keep the faith. Though everyone else might flee, hold on to the anchor, carry that baton, and pass it off. Christian faith is highly relational. Sometimes we're alone. Though we're lonely, we're never truly alone. So the Lord be with your spirit and grace, God's grace, be with you, family. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you, Lord. 
no matter what comes against us, we can hold on firmly to you and be unashamed of Jesus Christ, unashamed of the gospel and unashamed of the church. Lord, I thank you for Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf to give us eternal life. And God, for any who don't know him yet, I pray they put their faith in him today even. And Lord, for any brother or sister who's looking at Demas and saying, man, I'm awfully close to deserting. God, I pray that you would just pull them back in, woo them in, God, by your spirit. And for the one who is like John Mark saying, man, I've been away, but God, you're pulling me. God, I pray that they would submit themselves, say, God, I'm all yours. I raise my white flag. I surrender to you. Lord, above all, use us so long as there's breath in our lungs. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, would we rise to our feet as we sing this closing song? Prayer team, please come forward. Our prayer team wants to pray with you. So if you come with anything in your heart, anything, man, please come up. Let them pray with you, family. Somehow, in your mind and your heart, respond to God right now. What, what has he been teaching you? What's God showed you in the past 35 minutes? I just want us to still our hearts for a moment and just think about that. Maybe you just need to ask him, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to walk away with today? Let's take a moment and do that.